Hello and welcome to Scientifically Speaking, CornellRadio.com radio show about science topics. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, with our first real show of the year. We had our like little video episode about Zach doing the gallon challenge a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. That went pretty well. We did that on Twitch. We're thinking we'll maybe do some more video episodes like that. If you have ideas for stuff to do for video episodes, hit us the fuck up because we're looking for th- shit to do and we don't really know. <laughs> we don't really have any ideas for that. So, what's special about today's episode? Well, today we have a special guest. Special guest. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hello. How do we know you? Well, I live in your house. <laughs> Since when? <laughs> time. That's true. The three of us all live together. It's so cute. And now we're going to do our first show together. It's going to be so adorable. Oh, my God. And I get to try out this cool new microphone. Because, okay, so you may have noticed that uh, one of our regular co-hosts is not here. Oh, Shane. Poor Shane. He's a busy, busy baby. Oh, Shane, you can... Oh, wait, we're fine. <laughs> Shane, we got it. Don't worry <laughs> we, about uh, it. We were, we were having some trouble trying to find our intro music, and I, then I realized I found it and had it, and we're like, Shane, give it to us, please. But we didn't Help. need it. It's all good. Um, yeah, so we are going to do our show. It's going to be Zach and Dave and Sarah and Shane. We were experimenting with having him call in, but I think this weekend we're just not going to do that, and in the future we may have some other cool stuff going on, so we don't have to have him Yeah, we're in. maybe retooling sort of how we do this show, so look for that in the uh, the coming uh, weeks. We'll sort of be changing up maybe a little bit how we do our stuff here. So anyway, let's let's get into today's topic. What, what are we talking about today? The heck are viruses. Viruses! We're talking about viruses. Those little weird-ass things that maybe kill you and maybe don't. I'm not really... Not, not the ones in your email. It's vague. No. No, not the, not the internets. I the don't understand computers. those either. Yeah. yeah. We, we might do a whole show on computer viruses, too. We probably won't, because it's probably really boring. Yeah, um, it's probably really boring. <laughs> but we That's might. true. But we probably won't. So, okay, so viruses, right? What What is a virus? <laughs> Well, we'll get into that. First, Sarah, do you want to talk a little bit about um, how we how we figured out that viruses exist? How we even know that they're, they are? Yeah, I guess we couldn't have even looked at them until we realized they were a thing to be looked at, mm-hmm. huh? And because they're so incredibly small. And they were, for, for how technology has developed, we, we realized that viruses are a thing surprisingly early. Like, we actually discovered vaccines before we knew what viruses really were, which is crazy. Wait, that's... Okay, so wait. So vaccines are what we use to preemptively protect people from viruses, from virus. right? Correct. Yeah. But we had vaccines before we knew there were viruses. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. That's real they're, weird. Yep. They just noticed, like, oh, if I, if I put a little bit of an infected sub- substance into a person, <laughs> they're like, oh, wow, I don't get infected by that thing. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I guess. But, and not really knowing what was causing the the disease itself. Hmm. And um, but in starting in 1892, so like the end of the 19th century, several scientists like did work together to sort of figure out that these really, really small, smaller than I think the like general imagination of people could handle <laughs> at the time. They just had literally no idea that things could be that small. But what they did, it was actually the, the first virus discovered was a virus that infects plants, tobacco mosaic virus. And it's actually, it's still a huge problem. In really? It's been, oh, I guess that makes sense. So this virus has been around for, for a long, long time. 50 years. And plus. Like, 
I've worked in greenhouses where you, c if you like smoked a cigarette, you can't go into the greenhouse because they might be carrying the virus. How it's, does it's a it? Problem. So it it hangs out in tobacco or something, and then mm -hmm. it infects plants. Yes. Oh God. A lot of different kinds of plants. That's but anyway, really goofy. how they discovered it, which is pretty cool. So one scientist, um, Bejerink. Bejerink. Yeah, I wasn't really yeah. sure how to pronounce that either. Um, it's sort of. <laughs> so it's a weird. I think probably it looks. Duh. It's just it's Beijing, but instead of the ng, it's rink with a k at the end, a c and a k. It's not important. Yeah, so this just, guy. Whatever. <laughs> he had an idea. So he had this. I assume a tobacco plant that was looking pretty sickly, and he ground up the leaf, and he put that liquid through. It's it's called a Chamberlain filter, and the it the filter is. The holes in the filter are smaller than bacteria. Ooh. Oh. So um, he filtered it through and then tried to see if the, the liquid that came out the other end that didn't have any bacteria in it could still create an infection on a, on a healthy plant. Yo, that's pretty smart. And his results were? That it could. Whoa! Look at that. Whoa, so they're like, damn, something really small exists <laughs> that can spread disease. Wow. And then further, another guy, um, Dmitry, no, Dmitry, uh, Ivanovsky, is that what you're thinking Ivanovsky, of? Ivanovsky, I don't yeah. know his first name. They both did this test several years apart, and they, like, came to the conclusion, they came up for, with the word virus for this thing, this, they, um, we need to do it with, there we go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Get a bit of an echo on another mic that's sort of hanging around. Oh, here. yeah. So remember, we, remember how we have those headphones that have a microphone attached that I discovered actually work as a microphone? Uh, <laughs> we, we did not realize that for a while. Yeah, Sarah's got that on and also has a microphone, so we're just, we so just resolved that issue. Yeah. Echo. <laughs> echo. So um. they, they found it at about, well, a few years apart, but they independently discovered it. Mm -hmm. And they, why do they call it virus? What is that? What does that name have? So the name comes from a uh, Latin meaning like po poison or noxious liquid or something. And um, oh, there's actually well, a recorded usage of the term virus being used as agent of pathogenicity, which means like infectious disease causing, as early as 1728, 150 years before viruses were named viruses, before what? we actually discovered viruses. But it had to do with venereal disease. Oh, <laughs> um, that makes sense. Okay. So... Poisonous fluid, yeah, that's that sounds that seems about right to me. <laughs> but yeah, then Beja Rink sort of coined the term virus for those little tiny things. And actually, he thought they were liquids. Mm -hmm. He like didn't realize that they were liquids, but later somebody named uh, Wendell Stanley proved that they were particulate. Ew. So, I guess well, something to consider: how how small is a virus? We keep saying it's small. What is what does that mean? So viruses are very very small. The average virus is between fifty to a hundred nanometers. And Zach might be able to give you a better yeah. understanding of how fucking small so that that's is. That's so small that you it is literally impossible to see that with a light microscope. The the resolution or the wavelength of the smallest visible light is in the like few hundreds of nanometers. And so that's how light the resolution of a light microscope is limited by that smallest wavelength. And the bacteria or the viruses are smaller than that. So we literally cannot look at them. With a light teeny, microscope. teeny, tiny little guys. So that's kind of why probably we didn't find them earlier. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So we knew there were bacteria, which are larger than this resolution limit, but we can't make out two independent points below this resolution limit. So we can't see viruses with a light microscope. Well, 
we can't see most viruses. We'll we'll talk about that <laughs> later. So, viruses. What what the fuck actually are they? Yeah. So I, I've always heard that like they're they're not life, but they still hang out. They like have RNA. I don't really. I'm very confused, honestly. It's pretty valid. Viruses yeah. are pretty complicated. I think everyone's confused in that respect. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So let's explain a little bit about what viruses actually are. So. I'm sure you've all seen the classic image of like a bacteriophage, which is that little lumpy thing with a tall neck and some weird-looking legs. Everybody's sort of seen that in like biology class. Think classes. like maybe Jimmy Neutron. Yeah, if um, you... when they shrunk inside Carl's stomach, and uh, because he was sick, and it was Jimmy and Sheen, and they were fighting off the bacteriophages in Carl's stomach. Um, I forget why they shrunk down. I, I haven't seen Jimmy Neutron in yeah. way I too long. About that episode. All right. Well, if you don't have a picture in your mind now, oh, uh, I'm trying to pub put one on the Facebook page, but the internet's kind of wonky, but it'll be there at the end of the show for sure, because it's literally sitting on my computer. <laughs> so, viruses are essentially, they're just these little capsules of gene transfer machinery. There's not much to them, really. They're really, really simple. Basically, all they are is um, some genetic material enclosed in a protein coat called a capsid, and then... So it's basically like a little, little, little circle type yep. thing. It's just shell. some sort of, it's a it's capsid shell, yeah. holding some Good. genetic material, and that's it. Some pro, some viruses have some more stuff to them, but most of them don't. Some, so some viruses have, um, they're called enveloped viruses, and these have a lipid membrane. But most viruses, like I said, are just little protein balls surrounding some genetic material. And this genetic material can come in the form of single-stranded or double-stranded DNA or RNA, which, of course, DNA, RNA, I think we sort of... People have learned. People sort of know what those things are, right? Eh, I mean, it's got as so. Listen, I haven't taken biology since eighth grade. Eighth grade. And so Zach hasn't taken a biology class to since eighth grade. To me, I imagine DNA and RNA is like long strings of a code. It's genetic Correct. code, is what I remember. And they have you know those base pairs or whatever. I don't remember what they are, but you can basically they have complements, so pairs go together. They like poke their opposite. That's and hang out. true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's all I got. Look at so, you go. That was, yeah. That's pretty much all DNA is. There's not really much else to it. It just tells cells what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. That's I guess that's all that's really important. And that there are a, a string of these base pairs of really, really long, really, really long. Really, string. really long, long. Like thousands of base pairs. Mm -hmm. um, so, like I said, these viruses are really, really simple, and that's all they are. So, how how do we... Yeah, uh, why aren't they life, then? They have DNA and RNA. Doesn't that... Isn't that Good question, Zach. <laughs> we didn't plant that, we swear. <laughs> no, we totally planted it. Um, so why aren't they life? So it's a complicated question. Being alive requires more than just having DNA. There's um, several criteria that uh, biologists use to sort of measure how alive things are. And uh, according to uh, Nature, the scientific publishing magazine. I was going to say, like, Mother Nature? Did you talk to her <laughs> yes, somehow? Mother Nature. Okay, no. We talked, <laughs> and, yeah. Why isn't there a Father Nature? Uh, oh, no, it's Father Time. Yes, yeah, Father Time. Uh, Mother Nature and Father Time. Oh, what a couple. I didn't realize that they were an item. I don't know if they are. I wonder if those are independent things. Hmm. Mm. That's a question for the audience, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know if you have any thoughts about who Father Time is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so what are the criteria for life? Criteria for life. Things, living things can grow, reproduce, 
maintain an internal homeostasis, which just means they can regulate their body. If they're too hot, they can cool themselves down. If they're too cold, they can warm themselves up, etc., etc. They can respond to stimuli. That means if something pokes them, they can go, something poked me. <laughs> um, and they can carry out various metabolic processes, which means they take in food and they poop out poop. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, and so back uh, one to, more thing. In oh, addition, one. populations of living organisms evolve over time, so they have to be able to evolve also. Okay, so something like a bacterium mm -hmm. that is alive. That is alive. Okay, a bacterium can grow, reproduce, maintain homeostasis, respond to stimuli, carry out metabolic processes, and evolve. Okay, viruses, however, do not carry out metabolic processes. Like I said, all they are are just genetic materials surrounded by protein. They can't make ATP, which as we've talked about before is like the food of cells. They um, don't produce, produce blah, blah, possess the necessary cell machinery for translation, which means they can't code their own proteins from their genetic material. They have to hijack oh. a host's they're genetic pirates. cell they machinery. Are, yes, they're they like basically that's pirates. Really well, I was thinking terrorist, but I think oh, pirates yeah. probably Hijacking, a more fun well, yeah. mental image. Yeah, let's go yeah. Terrorist pirates. is like scary. Like yeah. Ebola as a pirate is like much less terrifying than Ebola as a terrorist. Although Ebola is more of a terrorist. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this episode's gonna kind of make you sad at the end. Yeah, we'll get there. And a little scared. <laughs> but um. But so is them. that so metabolic? Is that the only condition that viruses don't satisfy? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Really? Um, they <sighs> also, they can't reproduce by themselves. They have to mm -hmm. use but they their can't, obligate parasites. But they can reproduce. So obligate parasites, that, so they're a parasite. We talked about parasites. Yeah, we they had a whole a episode about parasites. Viruses are technically a type of obligate intracellular parasite. And what that <laughs> means is that they have to live so inside yeah. a host's body. Obligate, have to, intracellular, intracellular within cell, a cell, parasite, parasite, need a host. Need a host, exactly. Cool. Yeah, and I guess... You can't really kill a virus. It's just if it's just a strand, you break it up. Is that death? Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, that's strange. Because if all it is is a piece of genetic material, uh, you can't really kill that. You can't like stab DNA to death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's super weird. Wait. Um. Okay. So they. So they. The lack of metabolic process—they don't eat or poop. Is they don't eat or is. poop. That's all it is. So they just hang out. They're just a block of stuff holding genetic material and they just float around mm -hmm. and attach to stuff and do yep. things. That they don't, Correct. Well, they don't really do much until they attach to something. So, and they—that's so simple. Well, yeah. It seems simple anyway. They're really, really simple. So, um, so according to that stringent definition of life, they're non-living. But not everyone agrees with that. Some people call them living. Some people say the viruses represent a different type of organism on the tree of life. So just like an organism that doesn't have to go poop. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they just represent a totally new branch of life that we haven't really thought of as life yet, which is weird. Like, so they're called capsid encoding organisms or CEOs, which ha. is hilarious. CEOs, CEOs are, are viruses. Yes. That's a little <laughs> I think there's some uh, social commentary to be made here. Hey, but uh, we're a science show, so yeah, we don't talk about we'll that stay kind of away stuff. from that. that down. So, yeah, viruses are super, super simple, but there's a hell of a lot of them. Yeah. How many? Give me an exact number. Uh, I think we've classified something like, let me see if I can find the exact numbers. Um. There's about 5,000 virus species described in detail. Mm. 
Although there are millions more. of types. Oh, oh. so what's yeah, a, what is a type? Yeah, so a virus <laughs> classification is really weird. So do you remember how that evolution episode, we sort of talked about the, the classification of animals and plants and stuff? Well, it's really hard to do viruses because they're so simple. There's not really a good way to classify them and group them. And they're so they're so simple, but they they change so rapidly that like, how do you say what a species is if exactly. it's if it's changing constantly? Oh man, we can't even we can't even figure out what a species is in like animals. Let alone have, let like, alone these little things a that thing like, that's like basically half yeah. a piece of DNA. <laughs> I feel I don't know. I feel like if it's if it's really really simple, there should be an easy way to classify it based on its, like, it only has a few characteristics, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that is how we classify them. Oh. So there's this sort of normal classification system, which we have, that's how we give them our, their names. But David Baltimore, who's a, a virologist, he sort of developed his own classification system that I think works really well. And basically, all there is is um, a couple of different groups, I think about seven different groups, based solely on four characteristics of viruses. One, whether it's made of DNA or RNA. That's pretty easy. Whether it's single-stranded, meaning, so do you know how DNA is a twisty ladder? Right. Basically take off one half of the ladder, that's a single-stranded piece of DNA. Okay. It could be single-stranded, could be double-stranded. It could be sense or anti-sense, which sounds ridiculous right now, but <laughs> we'll explain that in a second. And it could be a retrovirus or a normally transcripting virus, which again, we'll explain those in a bit. Yeah, I'm going to definitely need clarification. Yeah. So basically, like I said, there's only these four characteristics of viruses, and it's all based on how they transfer their genetic material. Hmm. Single-stranded or double-stranded, DNA or RNA, sense or anti-sense, which, Sarah, would you like to explain a bit about what sense or anti-sense is? I would love to. So... Sense and antisense refer to, um, so if you think about the, the ladder of DNA or of RNA, because it can be single-stranded or double-stranded RNA, there's one side of the ladder that when DNA or RNA is, is made into proteins, or the, the ribosome, or the um, protein that makes, makes the protein, Makes other, protein proteins. That makes other proteins. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> it will bind to it, and it can only read one side. Okay. The other side is like, like you said, it's its opposite, and it doesn't really make sense. So the side that it can read is the sense strand, and the side that it can't read is the anti-sense strand. Hmm. Normal people would maybe call that nonsense, but I guess <laughs> anti-sense, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm gonna stab you. Um, that's terrible, Dave. So if, if <laughs> yeah, that was, that was really bad. And that's because, so you've got the one strand of DNA, the other strand, so the sense strand, we'll just say the one side is the sense strand, and the other, the anti-sense strand has the opposite base pair mm -hmm. along each, so okay, so at each connection between the strands, it has the opposite, the anti-sense strand has the opposite base pair yeah. from the sense strand. Exactly so the correct. the sense strand would have like T-A-G, the antisense strand would have ATC. Yep. Which ones are the opposites again? A and T and C and G. So AT and CG. CG. Those okay. are the pairs. Cool. So yeah, so you have one side of the uh, strand of DNA or RNA that sort of makes sense. That's why it's called the sense side. The other uh, side, mm. can't read it all. It's opposite. It's whatever. Well, I don't think that's why it's called that, but uh, <laughs> we, we can use that, that's I guess. pretty much why it's called that, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. So you have... 
if if a, a virus is referred to as a sense, say it's a sense plus sense single-stranded RNA virus. So it has one strand of RNA that when the virus is infecting something and what it, immediately what it wants to do is replicate its genome. So take that RNA. Which means copy. Yeah, copy. Take that RNA and make it into as many more RNA strands as they possibly can. Okay. So with a plus sense strand, you can automatically take that strand of RNA and they can, a ribosome can read it and make more RNA or make a protein or not, not a ribosome, RNA polymerase. Yes. Oi. So uh, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of bio terms yeah, here. It's it's okay. Terms. Don't worry about it too much. Basically, all that matters is that like, <laughs> you know, a sense virus can go into a cell, and the cell's uh, a protein making system can start doing that immediately. Mm -hmm. But with an anti-sense virus, it can't. It has to have its own thing that changes it from sense to or anti-sense to sense, and then the host cell can start reproducing the virus. Oh, it's, so, the cell okay. literally can't read anti-sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it needs to be translated. Well, that's not a good word. To no, use, it's literally it? It literally is what it is. Yes. That's what translation DNA okay. is. The term means <laughs> going from uh, genetic code to protein. Mm -hmm. Cool. So the other, so we talked about single strand versus double strand, DNA versus RNA. The only difference there is uh, what kind of sugar is part of the backbone, but that's kind yeah, of irrelevant. Let's not talk about that. Um, and sense versus anti-sense. The other option it can be is whether it's a normal virus or a retrovirus. Retrovirus. That sounds cool, Retro. right? Yo, it's so 70s though. Basically, all that means is that. Um, you have viruses, so retroviruses are just viruses which have to make DNA from their RNA template. Normally, in our cells, we go from um, DNA to RNA to protein. Okay. But if these viruses have RNA, they have to make DNA first from that RNA template, and then translate into proteins hmm. so it's so a little it complicated just backwards it's just backwards from what the normal uh translational process is so retro retro backwards. exactly yeah literally okay. meaning backwards so not doesn't mean 70s-esque so no, that's all the classification of viruses means so if you see anything that's like plus ssrna it's like whoa that's a lot of things all that means is it's plus meaning sense ss meaning single-stranded and rna so that's it Cool. It's a sense single-stranded RNA virus. Well, that's not. Yeah, you the, know what that that's means. not the hardest thing I've ever encountered in biology, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is actually pretty straightforward. So, yeah, viruses are weird as hell. Oh yeah. So yeah, okay. So, what what are they? Take your time. Infect? We know it's a lot of info. You just you soak it in. You just soak it in like you're taking a bath Drink in viruses. So a we got a bunch of biology probably stuff, and it's idea. floating around it's little, a little in a little container. Yeah. And it's bumping into stuff. Mm -hmm. So it can infect us, and it can infect animals. Mm -hmm. What else does it, can it infect? infect? Plants. Okay, there's plants. There's viruses yeah, that affect about that. fungi. There's viruses that affect bacteria. Literally oh, wait, every that's single. A bit weird. What? Just infecting other small things. I guess that makes sense, though. All of, all yeah. of, so viruses, all they do is attack individual Just cells, and a bacterium is an individual cell. Ba boom. I guess that Damn. makes sense. Cool. There are even viruses that infect other viruses, which is sort of just like a little. But, mind fuck. Uh, mm, 
viruses attack other viruses. And does it work the same way? Because there's no cell in a virus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did they do their stuff? So one of an example I'm thinking of is this uh, very, very small, smaller than the usual virus called that they lovingly named it Sputnik. <laughs> so it um, it infects one of like a very, very large variety of virus called a mammavirus. And the mammaviruses are so big that they sort of resemble bacteria, and they affect amoeba. How big are they? Yeah, so let's talk about that. What is, how big is big? There are things called giant viruses. Now, at first thought, that sounds terrifying, right? <laughs> but gonna, Oh, God. <laughs> so we talked about how viruses only contain a few genes. It's a really small piece of genetic code. So most viruses, viruses contain around 10 genes. There's one virus that has four. It literally only has genes that encode making its own stuff. And okay. that's it. Most viruses only have around 10 genes. Giant viruses can have up to have hundreds or thousands of genes. Yeah, right? Ugh. Really bizarre. And giant viruses tend to infect amoeba. I don't know why that is. Yeah. But, yeah, so okay, yeah. this is basically sure. an enormous <laughs> virus. And most viruses are under selective pressure to streamline their genetic code. Because, you know, the smaller your genome, the easier it is for you to reproduce. If you only have to reproduce... 10 letters, it's easier to do that without making a mistake than it is to reproduce a thousand letters without making a mistake. And the mistake is a mutation? Yep. Cool. So, we have some of the biggest ones like Pandora virus. So, like I said, standard of like 10 genes. Pandora virus has 2,500 genes. Jeez. That's and so for per literally more than 100 times larger than the... Yeah. Perspective, like humans... I, I'm estimating on this number, but I, I believe we have something around or known genes that encode proteins. It's like something like in the 30 or 40 thousands. Mm -hmm. So and this thing is a tenth of the so size of us. Simpler. Yeah. In terms of Ge genetically, in terms of genes that encode proteins. Physically, yes. it's like physically what? it's much smaller, a but micron? still pretty fucking big. So we talked about how most viruses are around 50 to 100 nanometers. Well, this Pandora virus is a micron, which That's is a thousand yeah. nanometers. So you can see that with a light microscope. You can actually Ooh. see that with a light microscope. That's pretty neat. Almost your naked eye. Do they? Do you think? Do they use? Do they study these giant viruses to study like? Uh, well, I guess we have electron microscopes, so we don't need to. I was thinking we could study the giant viruses with a light microscope in order to learn more about the smaller viruses we can't see with a light microscope. But we have electron microscopes, and electrons can have much smaller wavelengths than visible light, and so we can study smaller things. With That's the whole electron. reason we have electron microscopes, to yep. study things that are too small for the visible light to capture. Cool beans. So, so you need a really, really, really tiny virus and a really, really big virus to have viruses that infect attack each other. other. Viruses. Mm -hmm. How do they... How does the smaller virus infect the bigger one? Well, it... So we'll talk about how exactly viruses oh, infect right. we haven't things in a bit. Learn that but yet, I guess. first, this brings up okay. another question. Why are these things so... Why are giant viruses so fucking big? What does that mean? Where did viruses come from? How do they get this much genetic material? And this is a question that no one has a good answer to. 
uh, well, that's kind of surprising. We don't know where viruses came from. We have no idea where viruses came from. But we have a few hypotheses okay. floating around that aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. <laughs> I mean, I guess we technically don't know how life started, right? We, yeah, we probably have a better picture of how life started than how viruses started. Okay. Really? Maybe. I don't know. We might not. Now that I think about it, life is pretty fucking complicated anyway. So. Yeah, I guess we don't. So let's talk about where viruses might have come from. Mm-hmm. So there's three hypotheses. Three. First one is the progressive hypothesis. As So like Bernie Sanders' yes, hypothesis? Um, the Bernie Sanders <laughs> hypothesis. Hashtag feel the burn. Um, oh, yeah. No politics. Sorry. Sorry, I got excited. Oh, we didn't. Oh, well, yeah. You supported him. I just mentioned his name. <laughs> <laughs> All I did was mention the hashtag feel the burn. Hashtag feel the burn. That supports Bernie Sanders. I'm not saying you should. You're just I'm saying just it exists. Saying he exists, and you should uh, go learn about him because it's nice <laughs> to be informed about politics. <laughs> but we have no political views on this show because we are a science-only show. Just state and facts. State and facts. Although he does recognize climate change as an important... We're moving on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I almost just fell back. Holy on my crap. Chair. Be careful. It's fine. Okay. So, like I said, we have this progressive hypothesis, the Bernie Sanders hypothesis of how viruses started. <laughs> Basically, progressive means building up from something. Okay. So the assumption here, the hypothesis here, is that viruses started as pieces of freely moving genetic material. They were just pieces of DNA or RNA just floating around. And when you're a piece of DNA or RNA floating around, that causes a lot of problems because things will eat you. Things will destroy your DNA. Things will take your DNA. Your DNA will just sort of degrade naturally if you're in some sort of weird acidic environment. Mm -hmm. So... Those are all There's selective pressure to sort of make something that surrounds your genetic code. So the development of the proteinaceous capsid, so just the, the capsule that surrounds the genetic material. So there's some evidence of this hypothesis. About 42% of our genome is in the form of retrotransposons. Wow, that is quite the word. It's an amazing word. You don't have to remember. All it means is that retrotransposons are these mobile pieces of uh, our genetic code that sort of bounce around from cell to cell or piece parts of the DNA code to another part. It's just a little chunk of DNA that moves around. And it's, That's it's all just it means. a chunk. It's a free floating chunk. Free of floating DNA. chunk okay. that it's can stick itself in somewhere and stick itself in somewhere else. Hey. So it's really it's the sluttiest um, piece of genetic code. Gotcha, True. gotcha. Fun um, aside, but um, a Cornelian. I was actually very responsible for discovering it. Her name was Barbara McClintock, and she's awesome. You should look her up. Do it. Sweet. That name sounds kind of familiar. That does sound familiar. I think I maybe know. it's just McClintock. Yeah, McClintock, the John Wayne movie. Never seen it. Is that a John it. Wayne movie? Yeah, McClintock. Well, that's probably it's what a western. Unsurprisingly, was John Wayne in any other movies? Was John Wayne in an Eastern? Um, an Eastern. Wow. That would okay. be like what? Shut up. We're talking about this now. <laughs> so, like I said, 42% of our genome is made up of these slutty little pieces of DNA. And Retro transposons, just because I love that word. So, now. these freely moving pieces could be where viruses came from. It could be just this freely moving piece of DNA that sort of just fell out. Okay. But <laughs> and how- it develops this little protein capsid that allows it to get in and out of cells without being degraded. And there you go. Now you've got a virus. Simple as that. But how hard is it to get from this free-floating thing to the fully formed capsid? Not very. Uh, it's only a few extra proteins. You only <laughs> need a few extra genes that code for proteins so to this is, make this, this capsid. This is feasible, which this is why is it's very still, feasible. this hasn't been rejected yet. Capsids are really simple protein-based structures. Cool. 
Um, right. So, like I said, these retroviruses that we talked about may have evolved in this way that are these simple things that are just pieces of RNA that have to form DNA to form proteins. But we talked about that earlier. It's it's weird. You don't really have to remember <laughs> that. It's it's kind of complicated. I mean, technically, you don't have to remember any of this. We're not <laughs> testing you. Oh, no, we are. There yeah, will be we a are. Quiz. There will be a quiz. Yep. Um, so that's one hypothesis. The other hypothesis, a hypothesis, the regressive hypothesis, regressive uh, aka hypothesis? the Donald Trump hypothesis. Heyo. Um, <laughs> this sort of means going backwards from something. Regression. Yeah. Cool. So we talked about those giant viruses, right? Those things that have like twenty five hundred genes. That it's like wait, like dwarf most viruses. So the hypothesis here is that these large DNA based viruses may have evolved from more complex ancestors. So hmm. they may have started as basically bacteria, and as they evolved to be obligate intracellular parasites, which is one of my favorite phrases and would probably make a good band name, um, they <laughs> lost some of the essential genes for living. <laughs> they lost some of the um, genes that allow them to eat and poop hmm. and we have code for other like, things. We know of this happening, right? Yes, we do. We do. Um, for example, well, we, there's evidence for it at least. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, one of these giant viruses, the Mimivirus, has some translational genes. Remember, translation is going from nucleic acid, DNA, or RNA to protein. It has some translational genes in its code, but not a fully functional translational system. So what that implies is that these genes may be remnants of a once functional full translation system, meaning that this virus evolved from something more complex and lost a bunch of its stuff. Hmm. So it's vestigial, like yes. our appendix. Yes, correct. Is our appendix vestigial, though? Yeah. Oh, it is? Pretty much. I yeah. feel like it's supposed to harbor gross bacteria yeah, and then or something. Explode well, it's violently not supposed to explode. And spew it all over That's your what it does. gut cavity. That's job. <laughs> thought I was just supposed to incubate. <laughs> and then and whatever. It's basically an enormous petri dish so, attached directly to your butt. <laughs> presumably, it's more likely that these big old DNA-based viruses lost the essential genes of this translation system mm -hmm. rather than, like, half-evolved Yes. The translation system. Probably more likely that these large DNA-based viruses evolved from more complex ancestors, whereas the simpler retroviruses evolved from simply free-moving pieces of genetic code. Hmm. So, like I said, these progressive and regressive hypotheses don't necessarily contradict each other. They're yeah. not mutually exclusive. Both mm -hmm. things could happen. Viruses could have evolved multiple times in multiple ways. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of weird. It's very strange. I mean, it makes sense. But not as strange as the last hypothesis. Oh, there's another one. The progressive and regress regressive hypotheses both assume that cells existed before viruses, right? Um, it assumes that either they um, regressed from a more complicated cell or a piece of cell's DNA fell out. Oh, fell out. Okay. But what if viruses existed first? You know, that kind of doesn't seem ridiculous at all. A paper that came out in 2005 uh, suggested that maybe viruses were the first self-replicating units of genetic code in the world. They were the first time that anything sort of was able to reproduce itself. And think about it. A small piece of genetic code is probably more simple to reproduce than a big old piece of something. Mm -hmm. So eventually you get um, more organization, more complexity, and potentially the evolution of cell walls and membranes making cells dude 
So they weren't always parasites, if this hypothesis is true. That's what this hypothesis suggests. So I think this one's a little weirder and maybe a little more out there. But um, so here's some here's some uh, evidence of this. Uh, this is from a yes, paper please. in Nature um, that sort of explains this hypothesis. Um, most biologists agree that the very first replicating molecules consisted of RNA, not DNA. The first ever genetic material ever was RNA, not DNA. Right. Okay. I think I've I've heard that. We also know that RNA can exhibit. Um, enzymatic properties which means they can carry out their own chemical reactions so maybe simple replicating rna molecules existing before the first cell form developed the ability to infect the first cells (laughs) (laughs) so once they had this replication ability down and then other cells started to form they went holy shit this is much easier and developed the parasitic lifestyle hmm that's interesting. Maybe lifestyle's the wrong word for something that's not really alive. Uh, it's probably not really maybe alive, sort of a little bit, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> the interesting. So if viruses, if we did consider them life, then what's the next step down at which it becomes not life again? Probably bits and pieces of RNA. That so just remove the capsid, but encapsulated by something. The capsid seems to be not. It's just a protein chunk. But. Out. It's very important for replicating ability because um, having just a string of DNA in water or something exists, but it doesn't necessarily do anything for it. But So that'd be the next definition of life. Basically, our current definition of life is all these things. But if we include viruses, that means our definition of life is genetic code surrounded by a something. Oh, okay. And so the next step down would be just, just genetic, genetic code. code. Okay. So another argument is that um, uh, uh, precursors of today's viruses led to eukaryotic cells. Eukaryotic cells meaning cells that have not bacterial cells, like the kind of cells that we have are eukaryotic. So maybe the current nucleus, which is the center of the cell that contains all the genetic material, arose from an endosymbiotic event in which a complex enveloped DNA virus became a permanent resident of an emerging eukaryotic cell. Basically, you have a cell that sort of has some uh, DNA, it has some proteins and stuff to make it to get food and to digest the food and it has a cell membrane surrounding itself and then maybe it just accidentally ate a virus a virus that had some sort of membrane around its dna and now it's got an outer membrane and an inner membrane around the, the dna the genetic code endosymbiosis like this has happened before we know it's happened before <laughs> mitochondria so cool. and chloroplasts are, were both originally viruses, or not viruses, sorry, bacteria. All they were were just bacteria that our cells engulfed, and they were like, wow, this works way better than either of us alone. <laughs> and so mitochondria now reside within us, and are they us? I don't know. Oh, man. All right, so that's that's pretty nuts. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And again, none of these things necessarily – well, I guess virus first sort of um, – contradicts the other two for sure but in terms of it doesn't necessarily mean that all viruses evolved that way there could be viruses that evolved through progression viruses that evolved through regression and viruses that evolved first so if yeah so oh man yep so viruses are fucking bizarre that's super odd it's really weird oh man all right so i guess we can talk about now what the heck happens when a virus gets into us how does it do it and what are the results yeah we're talking about this infection stuff right like what what does that actually mean 
So, Sarah, you want to talk a little bit about um, what sort of what it means to infect a host cell? I would love to. Woo! I mean, woo! <laughs> yeah, thank you for backing up off the mic. We're not trying to shout into our listeners' ears. All four of them. Um, <laughs> ha. Actually, maybe the execs are listening in on this show. Ooh, maybe. Ooh, that'd Who be knows? fancy. Alright, so infection. What's up infection. with that? So, um, like, everyone... Actually, I don't, I don't know if I've ever gotten the flu. Knock on wood. But, um, is your head made yeah, of wood? Yeah, did you just knock on your I've head? Got... That isn't... What? Yeah, there's a table right here. That would have been better. <laughs> is this um, real wood? I don't know. Probably. Uh, it's... Who knows? I don't know. Maybe. This looks pretty plastic. But like, everyone's gotten the common wood. cold and just like sort of comes out of nowhere. But uh, what it comes down to is when it, an, for an infection to occur, obviously, a virus has to get up in your business. It has, you, have to, like, <laughs> you have to like eat it. Get off in your goes, face. Like, it has to get into your body. And once it's there, viruses have a way of getting through cell membranes. So they go into the cell. or the, They're not really. They, they leave their protein coat behind a lot of the times, but they just like stick their DNA into the cell. Yes. So it's kind of like a, a really, DNA really tiny ORs. reverse mosquito. Yeah. Yes. It's so a really, really tiny reverse out, mosquito. Sort of like reverse mosquito is a new band name. Adding that to the list. The <sighs> band names that I have, reverse mosquitoes, is amazing. Um, <laughs> quick aside, we had a uh, guest question, and by guest I mean Shane, who's listening to the show from far away. He asked if, um, if there is any sort of external factor that helps viruses reproduce. And so what Sarah was saying, they leave their protein coat behind. Well, the reason is because the reason the protein coat exists isn't just to surround the genetic code. It's also a way to recognize when it's on the right host. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for a specific host, and it's sort of a way to attach to the host, find the right host, and then attach to it, and then shoot in its genetic material. Yeah. That and is a super important thing that I did not know about the capsid. Yeah, yes. very important. Because this goes, goes with many other like pathogens, things that make you sick, in addition to just viruses. They're, infection is the exception, not the rule. So like... You have so many things on you right now <laughs> like that all the like, time. are just not making you sick. Mm -hmm. because Mostly because they don't have the proper equipment to infect you. Yeah, they're, they're just, just sort of hanging out with you. Like, get into like those cells. little tiny mites that live in on your eyelashes. Or into your skin. Oh, right. I hate thinking about those. Mm -hmm. You have tiny mites living in your eyelashes. Let's just pause for a second and picture that. <laughs> have fun. Mm. Yeah, it's awful. Okay, let's continue. So then. when the exception happens, when infection happens... These, this coat protein has the proper receptors, proper, proper signaling to acknowledge, okay, this is, this is a cell that I can, I can infect, and I can insert my, my genome into here. <laughs> my mom says, ew. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom. Sorry. And so the cell's just like, yeah, get on in here. It's no. like totally cool with this or nah? Usually nah. Usually not. And it's very not okay with it. <laughs> how does it how does it try to stop it? Well, we'll talk about that in a bit. Let's first oh, talk about okay. how viruses, if they were unimpeded, what the, what they do when they get you. Yeah. They infect you. Alright, so it shoved its genetic code into your cell. Just That's where we're at right now. All up inside you. Alright, so Ooh, it's that it's... was a really visceral word. Yeah, yes. yes. Splooge. I can see it happening. <laughs> so it's all up in you. Now what? Now, this is when the pirate 
part of it comes into play. They hijack the cells' genetic, the host cells' genetic machinery to make more copies of themselves. Dude, so that's awesome. Basically, our cells reproduce themselves by saying, "Okay, so we have this DNA. We're going to copy it. We're going to turn it into proteins." Okay, yay, very easy. Viruses go, "Okay, fuck you. Here's my (laughs) genes. You're going to start working on me now. You're going to make more of me." It's literally, literally like imagine like Ultron like making himself. Avengers reference for those of you who um, watched that. Also, go watch Age of Ultron. It came out last May and it was amazing. Um, so, basically, it gets inside. It has its genetic code, and then the host cell goes, "Oh, DNA. Let's let's read this and do what we normally do." And then it's like, "Oh fuck, this is a virus. Mm-hmm. Shit, shit, abort, shit, abort, abort, abort." But, <laughs> but it they doesn't. Can't, it can't because then the virus just builds and builds, and they make hundreds and hundreds of copies within the cell. So, okay, and wait, then so just this, ex- this, this cell is just being stuffed yes, with this stuff. And then the viruses just explode out of the cell, <laughs> destroying the host cell and spreading hundreds and hundreds of new copies of the virus around to the other cells nearby. So if a bunch of like, oh man, I don't even know what kind of analogy to use for this. Maybe a bunch of like, ping pong balls are appearing inside of a balloon and stretching it out until the balloon can't handle anymore. All the ping pong balls go everywhere. Yeah, and but then it, the ping pong balls infect other balloons. Yeah. The well, it, it'd be even sense. more like um, like if the balloon was making the ping pong balls by force, like at gunpoint. Somebody <laughs> was holding a gun to the balloon. To, okay, this analogy got really yeah, fucking yeah. weird. <laughs> I feel like this, this, isn't this doesn't make sense. I think the actual concept is actually pretty straightforward. Yeah. Virus... Attaches to cell, injects genetic code, forces cell to make more of its genetic material. Genetic material fills up the cell until it bursts. New copies of viruses fill up the cell until right. it bursts. So, new co- so literally new copies. That's totally nuts. Real nuts. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so it blows up and they're everywhere, and then so it reinfects other cells now? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now oh, those man. all those hundreds of copies of viruses have a chance to go do other things and infect other cells. So it's using so, like, your own cells to infect more of your cells. Yes, correct. So play by play, like you get a cold, what's happening? So, yeah, a cold is a good example of this. A cold is a pretty straightforward virus um, called rhinovirus, which is, uh, there. lots of viruses are implicated in causing colds, um, but usually they're single-stranded, positive-sense RNA viruses. So they enter through the upper respiratory tract, and then play by play, what happens is you get, okay, an infected person sneezes by you. Virus goes in, you inhale the virus particle, and it attaches to the cells lining the sinuses in your nose. We got this from How Stuff Works, a good explanation of how colds work. Basically, the virus attacks the cells lining your uh, nostril sinuses and rapidly reproduces, and then bursts out of those cells and uh, spread into your bloodstream and into your lungs. But now that you've had a bunch of cells in your nose burst open and destroyed, fluid can flow into your nasal passages, and you get a runny nose. Uh Oh. Now, this fluid, this phlegm, sputum, as it's called, sputum. Um, is sort That's of drips of down your mouth and into your throat, and it's filled with those hundreds of new viruses. And now viruses start to attack the cells in your throat, and they reproduce and reproduce and blow up and blow out of these throat cells, and now you have a sore throat, too. Oh, my God. Wait, okay, so this is really cool, because I really didn't think that... I mean, I don't know what I thought it was i just assumed like maybe like inflammation just general inflammation or something but it's literally just cells your cells blowing up the reason you have a runny nose and a sore throat is because viruses are literally destroying your cells and not only that but it can get worse once they're in your bloodstream they can travel to your muscles attack the muscle cells burst them and give you aches wow well that explains 
a lot. All of the symptoms of viral borne diseases. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean it's terrible, but oh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So it's it's terrifying. They've just got this like sick, really well-oiled machine running. You know? They oh just, yeah. They just do a really good job. But why aren't we sick constantly then? Like if they're so good at what they do, like we we have a lot of like we have so many ways that we try to stop them. Um, I think the first the first one like besides like we have stuff like our skin that's generally we make we make it to keep things out. And so when that first barrier is broken through, like you get a cut or it goes through your mouth or your nose. And then your mucous membranes. Mucous mm -hmm. membranes. Full of sputum. sputum. Just a word I really want to say more often. <laughs> How many times can we say it? Sputum, 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 sputum. That's really hard to say. Sweetum. Like sweetums. Like in Parks and Rec. Yeah. If you can't beat them, sweetums. So, um, the next barrier is individual cells have their membranes. And once they get through the membrane, they're floating in like the cytoplasm in this like liquid of the cell. And the cell itself, like, we have ways of telling you're like, oh my gosh, there's a virus in here. Bad, like, bad, 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 bad. Bad, bad, bad. Like, yeah. Sirens going off. They just turn off the alarm. And the f one of the first things that they do, we have this cool um, mechanism, and we share it with most, most other living things actually have this. It's called RNA silencing. So a uh, quick, quick note. Um, we had our vaccines episode a couple months ago, and there we talked about how our immune system recognizes bad things like bad bacteria or viruses. And like Sarah was saying, our body knows them because viruses are searching around feeling for their host cell, but our cells can recognize a virus too. They can be like, hmm, this feels weird. This is not a normal protein. This might be a bad virus. So our body recognizes them using surface proteins around the capsid. Before so, we get into – Exactly. Okay, so we got So skin. it can destroy them – First off, they might not get in. Second if off, they, if get they do in, get into our bodies. Our immune response can stop them potentially. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work, they can our cell membranes try to keep them out. Yes. If that doesn't work, what's happening next? What's happening? So we just thought we the the genome just got splooged right into the cells. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, um, and we have these this mechanism. There we call them. There's several different names for different types, but it's like small RNA or interference RNA. And they're just very, very small strings of RNA that we have floating around in, in our cell. And what they do is if they recognize, they, they just like see a strand of, of virus RNA floating around, and they just like... We talked about complementary strands, right? Right. So they just attach. Oh, because it just fits. The base pairs line up? Yeah, okay. And... Um, when the cell double-stranded RNA is is not something that occurs in in our cells ever really. It's a very rare thing for animals or most other living things to have. And so automatically, if the cell recognizes double-stranded RNA, they just cut it up. <laughs> so basically, if we sense that the virus is in our cell and that works then you just rip apart the viral genome. And that's just with some chemistry things going just, on. Just chemistry. Yep. Cool. So, and then, that, like, that stops it, stops it dead. Okay. But. But. Oh, there's always a but. There's always the but. Um, a lot of viruses, because we, we have this, 
and yet we still get sick. And because viruses have evolved a way around this RNA silencing, it's, it's <laughs> RNA silencing suppressing, which is just kind of a double negative, but that's... <laughs> so the, the virus, which would normally be silenced by the cell, suppresses, suppresses the, silencing. the silencing mechanism and is just fine. Yeah, Jesus. then it's allowed to. So yeah, it's terrifying, right? So, you only need a single virus to be infected. So if yeah, if one, one virus gets, gets through you, all of these defense mechanisms mm -hmm. and into your cell, and then you know blows up the cell, and again each virus, like the so at least one of the viruses that gets out keeps spreading and keeps replicating. You, you, it just takes one. There's one other um, mechanism for our body's immune reaction. Uh, this is kind of an interesting one because everyone's heard of it. They didn't realize that they've heard of it. So our body, once we find a virus or some other weird pathogen, our body starts producing these things called pyrogens. And what these are are fever-inducing compounds. Basically, they tell our body temperature to increase. Most viruses, um, oh, sorry, most viruses, so viruses hijack our cell machinery, right? And proteins and other cell machinery only works at a certain temperature. It works <laughs> optimally at body temperature. Right. So when our body goes, oh, fuck, there's a virus, they can just say, okay, screw it. We're going to turn up the heat and kill everything. So, okay, so a when you get fever, a fever, it's not your body just being like, oh, you're fever sick. It's actually, so a runny nose, a sore throat, these are symptoms of the virus attacking you. A fever is your body attacking the virus. That's cool. So... Super weird. But presumably, like, you know, they've evolved to just be, like, op be able to operate at just slightly higher temperatures. Yeah, there are some that, some that do, but usually fevers work pretty well. Okay, but it fevers takes time. Like, yes, to clear exactly. Out, yeah. But, yeah, that's why fevers are so good at actually stopping the problem. It actually does work very well because it basically stops the virus from being able to hijack our machinery by destroying its own machinery. But it's also really unpleasant and literally very destroys your own body. And destroys so your yeah. own body. If it doesn't work, then you're screwed. Then yeah. You die. yeah it also, it, it just might kill you accidentally right, like, if it trying takes to too stop long. it. Jesus. So, now, we talked about how these viruses get into our cells, reproduce a bunch, and then blow out of it. That's called the lytic cycle, meaning lysis, which means breaking. That's all it means. The lytic cycle of a virus is when it reproduces actively and blows out of cells. Also, they don't necessarily need to blow out of the host cell and destroy it. Some viruses, especially enveloped viruses, which means they have that lipid the membrane, the light layer around it, um, yeah. these simply bud out of the host cell. They like push the balloon out. <laughs> Bloop! So imagine like a balloon being pushed out, and then it comes off, and like a piece of the balloon is wrapped all the way around it. Uh, and that's okay. where they get their membrane. They stole it from our own cells. Those so, bastards. But most viruses just blow us the fuck out. <laughs> Alright, so then if there's a lytic cycle and it's so called, there must be another cycle? There is. Viruses can also go through the lysogenic cycle. That sounds longer. This is terrifying. So how scary is the lytic cycle? It's like pretty terrifying. Like it's your cells are getting blown up and hijacked and it's very, very uh, like action movie-esque and kind of like the bad guys are so winning. So what's scarier? Some, some giant monster attacking mm -hmm. or like a quiet, stealthy monster. Uh, probably a quiet, stealthy probably monster. The second one. Yeah. The, the lysogenic cycle represents the quiet, stealthy phase of viruses. Oh. It's the inactive cycle of viruses. Remember, viruses are essentially just pieces of DNA or RNA floating around, right? Well, what happens when it gets into your cell, and then your cell says, "Ooh, DNA," and it just adds it to our DNA? Oh. So. Ooh. Viruses can sleep in our genetic code.
for years <laughs> without being activated until some environmental or chemical signal uh, activates the virus, which pushes it again into the lytic cycle. But it can just sit in your DNA for years. These are when it's in this form, it's called proviruses or prophages. Mm. Um, as the host cell reproduces, the viral genes get reproduced as well. So, oh, so they're just—they're not active; they're just hanging out. Just hanging out. And the cells reproduce with the virus inside of it. Mm -hmm. Now, the weird thing is, sleeper cells. Literally sleeper cells. <laughs> so they are terrorists. We can actually sort of see viral DNA versus human DNA based on like looking at what virus DNA normally looks like and what sort of patterns it follows. Mm -hmm. And we've found viruses in our genome around. So this is sort of a, an estimated figure. We're still working on this sort of area of research, but as much as 8% of our genome may be from viruses. I saw 8%, 8%, 8%, including the gene for schizophrenia. Huh. The gene for schizophrenia might just be an old viral gene that never left us. That's really Weird. creepy and awful. So yeah. they just came in and like, we're just going to ruin some people's minds in the future and just hung out there for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So not only that, so we talked about how these things can hide for years. How long can they actually hide? Well, we uh, researchers, meaning biology as a subject, as a body of research, um, analyzed some endogenous, meaning body-born, viral genes that we have in our body and compared them with um, uh, viral genes found in chimpanzees. Turns out we share a bunch of them. We share a bunch of the same viral genes found in our bodies and our genetic code and the genetic code of a chimpanzee. So that how long ago did we split from Our lineage split off from chimps 7 million years ago, meaning we've had viral code in us for 7 million years just sleeping. And we it, have no idea what it is or what it would do <laughs> were it awakened. No! Oh my god, it's oh, like... Not only that, but we've studied endogenous viral The HP Lovecraft uh, Cthulhu. It's uh, in his house at Rulia, dead Cthulhu lies dreaming. So it's um, just basically this creepy monster just sitting in our genetic code for timeless ages, waiting to awaken and destroy everything. So seven million years—that's a really long time. That's a long time. Except. We, the researchers also studied endogenous viral genes in other primates and found viral genes that link back to a common ancestor that we shared with these monkeys 40 million years ago. That's 40 million years of viral genetic code being just part of us. Just hang At out. what point does it stop being viral gene and just start being our own genes? Good question. So it doesn't, does it do any? It doesn't, no. it just is there. Non-coding just sits there. That's, I don't know, man. <laughs> also, sometimes it's coding and makes schizophrenia, maybe. Right. Maybe. Right. Yeah. So that's terrifying. But not only that, viruses also do some other crazy shit. Really? Yeah. What is left for them to do to us, Dave? Is there not enough? So, we talked about how a virus splooges in its genetic code into a cell. Of course. And then hijacks the cell machinery, mm -hmm. and the cell, the host cell, makes more copies of the virus. And it fills the new viruses with the viral genetic code. Of but sometimes course. it makes a mistake. And sometimes pieces of the host's genetic code gets stuck in a viral 
gen- uh, genome. Um, okay. <laughs> then this virus containing viral genome and part of the genome of the host cell infects another cell and implants the new genetic code of the old host cell into its new host. Let alone its own viral code. That's super. So we can. It's this like... happens so often. Most bacteria function through transduction, which is bacteria can transfer their genes directly. Okay. They can take in free floating pieces of DNA, or there's a whole subset of bacterial reproduction that involves a virus taking parts of a bacterium's genome and putting it in a new bacteria. It literally is part of their life cycle. Literally is part of their life cycle. It's got a name, and it's like. <sighs> The other third so, thing that happens to bacteria. Holy crap. We're, we're like making, making GMOs before we ever like existed. Boom! <laughs> that is correct. Well, clearly GMOs are bad then because viruses are bad. <laughs> are there good viruses? Maybe. We don't know. <sighs> Jesus. It's hard to explain. What would be good? Increasing our fitness? Potentially. Yeah. I mean... The good thing for is, us, good for the... Vi- okay, well, what's good for a is, virus also? What's good for a virus is for it to reproduce. It doesn't care really what happens to the host cell once it reproduces. It doesn't want to immediately kill it, but it doesn't care what happens to it after it's got its copies. So in terms of a good virus existing, that might not be the case just based solely on how viruses work. All they care about is themselves. All they want to do is reproduce their own genetic code, and they don't care what they have to destroy to do it. Gotcha. So a virus that gets in us and activates is probably going to just burst out of our cells and destroy them. Right. Yes, potentially it could incorporate some of its code, and maybe that code helps us make a weird protein that helps us do something weird. So very iffy, probably a stretch, probably not going to happen. Most viruses are bad (laughs) and (laughs) scary and terrifying and horrifying and bizarre and weird and not alive, but maybe alive. Oh, God. And also in you and on you all the time. Well, that's disturbing. All right, so they get in us from where? How, we didn't even. How do they even get to us? So viruses are mostly spread through. They, or they can be spread. They can just be floating around, and as we said, they don't really die so much. They don't have. <laughs> so they can just be you anywhere. You can't stab DNA to death. But a lot of them have vectors, which is like other other organisms that aren't their main hosts, but that they sort of chill in until they can come across their actual host. What, what, the host being the thing that they actually, whose cells they explode. What are some common vectors? So, like, everyone's heard of mosquitoes as vectors, right? Yes. Like, they carry West, okay. West Nile, which we might talk about later. Mm-hmm. Or, um... Fleas. Fleas. Fleas are a pretty Classic. big vector. Um, also, direct transfer of bodily fluids mm-hmm. can harbor viruses like if someone sneezes on you and their sputum ha, has <laughs> viruses in it and then you swallow that sputum and oh. this gets in you all right so no sneezing or you have like sexually transmitted diseases no more sex everyone stop that right now uh um. you joke but uh zika virus officials have actually told yeah. people to stop having sex well mm-hmm. they should stop yeah it's, i mean it's we'll get to that it's, so yeah, um, so scary. there's a thing called a fomite. Basically, all this means is it's an object or substance that can carry infectious organisms. But there's some interesting research about these. Um, researchers have discovered that smooth, non-porous surfaces like doorknobs transmit bacteria and viruses way better than stuff like paper money. Because those porous 
fibrous materials absorb and trap the contagion. Oh, yeah. Making it harder to contract through simple touch. Mm. So you're much, much more likely to get a cold from somebody sneezing on a doorknob than you are from uh, somebody sneezing on a dollar bill. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, I guess it's easier to pick something up off a table than trying to pull it out of a rope net. Yes, yeah. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> so you start worrying that your money is filthy. Yes, it is, but, but it's not going to kill you. As long yeah, as you're don't not, like, eat your money or anything. That's yeah. just silly. Even then. I mean, yeah, you actually, it wouldn't be. Yeah. Just don't do that. Just don't do it. That's just, that's just weird. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, <laughs> get into this pretty easily. All right. So. Where do we want to go next? I guess we can talk about some real-life viruses now. We Give just some examples about them in of, general. So, uh, first things first, before we get into talking about, like, some specific examples of viruses that we deal with all the time and how they work and the things that make the news, um, a little side note of definition of incubation time. Oh, yeah. People often hear about, like, oh, well, you're not contagious for so-and-so. Well, that depends. The time between incubation time is basically the time between exposure to a pathogen to when symptoms first appear. So it's the time between you getting the first cold virus and you actually getting that runny nose. So that could be several days, and we'll sort of explain how incubation depends on the virus. But so we talked about the common cold. Let's talk about the Zika virus because that is a. Uh... Well, I, I just wanted to. Yeah. There's some other oh, things you're going back to common cold still. that uh, just have some other Bruh, do other the things. Thing. So, uh, rhinoviruses are normally things that cause colds. Although influenza and adenoviruses can cause colds, there's around 200 viruses implicated in causing colds. Literally, so many things can give you a cold. They're so common, and that's why we don't have a cold vaccine because there's hundreds of viruses that can give you a cold. Well, that um, is irritating. <laughs> they are among the smallest viruses. Rhinoviruses are usually around 30 nanometers. So they're pretty small. Okay. They can live up to about three hours outside of human contact. And once contracted, a person is most contagious within the first three days. So when do symptoms usually occur? Uh, they usually, so they're going to occur, I think. Let's see. I don't have that written down right here. Let me see if I can find that. It's probably like a week or so, right? Yeah, it's, it should be about a few days to a week is when that you get That seems pretty standard for a lot of viruses. To, yeah, that's pretty standard. Um, also interesting, human rhinoviruses, human cold-causing viruses, preferentially grow at 89 degrees Fahrenheit as opposed to 98, which is our body temperature, which is why they work so well in the upper respiratory tract. They work so well in our lungs and our throat and our nose because those are exposed to the external environment, and so they're a little colder. A little colder, yeah. Wow. So, That's nuts. Yeah. I also think it's interesting, and, and I don't know if you can say that viruses are smart. There's not really that much that they do, <laughs> but it it is it just it makes sense that you you'd be most contagious before you showed any symptoms, right? Because that's how something's gonna get spread. Right. Like yes. you're you're sick. You're like, oh, I have a worse headache. I have a runny nose. I have a cough. I'm staying home from work. You don't come into contact with people, but like the week before. You got a lot of people in your office sick. When you're starting to get these viruses reproducing yeah. in your system, but you don't have enough symptoms to not go to work. So is that the question? Is that has that been selected for? Maybe. Probably. Yeah, that would, I would not be surprised. I mean, by their that. whole point is transmission, so it makes sense that a selective pressure would be on, um, at least, not making your symptoms bad enough that they couldn't spread. Yeah, that's strange. Mm -hmm. But also. Huh. But also remember that it's not that smart and sometimes might just kill you accidentally. Right. <laughs> True. 
So let's talk about the big one, the one that's been all over the news recently, uh, Zika virus. Why is it called that? So it's called that because, um, wow, I totally missed that part of this. <laughs> Great. Dang. Well, if anyone wants to look up why Zika virus is called Zika virus, um, oh god, let us know. So is that, what, <laughs> what is Zika virus? So Zika virus is an arbovirus, and all that means what? is it's 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 carried by uh, arthropods as vectors. Por ejemplo, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes are its mosquitoes. main vector. Um, and so uh, it's also a flavivirus. Which what? Is, it's one of its its, its How is genus. How it both an arbovirus and a flavivirus? Well, arbovirus simply describes method of transmission. Yes, and flavivirus, flavivirus is, is the actual genus. classification. Yes, gotcha. And so most flavoviruses can't replicate enough in humans to reinfect them. So what happens is with viruses like this usually um, is that a mosquito just has it, will infect someone, and that's that's it. The person will get infected and they'll be fine, and they can't spread the infection to anyone. And really? then the mosquito will infect another person. And keep an, and it'll just stay in the mosquito, and the mosquito will spread it along to other mosquitoes. So there's no person-to-person -person transmission right. of Zika virus. No, there is though. That's most flaviviruses. However, the big exceptions: oh. dengue, yellow fever, Zika, all last long enough where they can be spread back to other mosquitoes, and also Yeesh. to people. So, Yeesh. what happened is like, why is there suddenly an outbreak of this virus? What happened? What they think happened is that. Um, somewhere around the time of the 2014 World Cup, where there were a lot of people traveling to South America, um, someone from Fl French Polynesia, or maybe a few people, came, and some of the mosquitoes that were hanging around in South America that happened to be able to carry this virus drank some of their blood, mm. became infected, mm. and then spread it to everyone uh. else. And additionally, all the mosquitoes and humans that are in South America have not been exposed to this virus before and so have very weak immune responses. Enough that, um, so it turns out that Zika virus is like, at first glance, seems like it's not that bad. It causes Zika fever, which is just a mild fever, skin rash, muscle joint pain, typical symptoms of viral infection. It's really easy for the like human immune system to suppress it. It's out of you in like a week. Okay. So it seems like not a big deal, right? That's not too bad. Transferred by mosquitoes, they'll keep the mosquitoes away. What kind away, of what right? kind of uh, virus is it? Um, I have here that it has single-stranded positive RNA. Cool. So it's but, a single-stranded yeah. positive sense RNA virus. Yes. There Sweet. you go. Cool. See, um, look at that. We're already using this information. Yay! And Learning. only only one in five people that get infected even get sick. Wow. Really? Okay. Seems not that bad, right? However. Um, health officials noticed that in these areas in South America where they're the highest, the biggest outbreaks of Zika virus, there was also a spike in microcephaly. And Ooh, which, what's that? That is when babies are born with abnormally small heads. And Micro, as a result of small, that, cephaly, head. they also have abnormally small brains. And that can lead Oof. to neurological issues and intellectual deficits, seizures, and vision and hearing problems. Oh, God. It also, they saw a spike in um, Guillain-Barre virus, or not virus, can, disease, um, which is related to, it's basically a nervous system uh, disruption. Your body starts attacking your nervous system, your peripheral nervous system. Oh, so God. You get muscle weakness and eye weakness and things like that. And so it's not certain that mm -hmm. it causes either of these things. That Zika virus right. causes those things. But it seems like it, there's definitely a strong possibility. And in the time being where we're figuring out whether or not it's truly a risk, health officials are urging 
pregnant women to avoid traveling to South America, people to avoid getting pregnant in South America, and people to avoid getting infected, uh, getting bitten by mosquitoes. mosquitoes. And so it's important to, like, so imagine you're in South America, right? You want to wear bug spray. You want to wear long sleeves, long pants, right? And even if you get infected with the virus, don't stop taking these precautions because you're, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm already sick with it. I'll get over it. Because you can spread it to mosquitoes that don't have it yet if you have it and Ah, let mosquitoes bite you. Think of other people. Yeah. So just, I mean, if you're going to go there, don't, I guess. If you're going to go there, I mean, okay, so if you have no plans on getting pregnant, um, you know, you're on birth control, use protection, you're a guy. Um, (laughs) You pretty much have nothing to worry about except spreading it. You can spread it sexually as well they found yeah that's really so if you don't go to south america and come back and start having sex with people just stay there and hang out until it's gone and don't have a baby because (laughs) the real risk is in in childbirth is what so there was a really interesting um article i read and this is sort of a, a part of this big news story is that um when the world health organization tells uh women to avoid getting pregnant and stuff but these organizations for health say this they say okay don't get pregnant you know don't get bitten by mosquitoes obviously sure but what happens is that zika virus is pretty common in areas with very poor contraception and abortion access Mm -hmm. so you you it's pretty condescending to say hey don't get pregnant also you're not allowed to have condoms because sex is bad yeah just put your life on hold and yeah yeah it's like it's pretty it's pretty bad to say like okay you're not allowed to do anything but it's but it's a huge risk to your child probably i mean it's definitely it's good advice yeah it just you know yeah has come off as like well sure that's true but also maybe we should maybe try to get women in these poorer regions of South America contraceptive access while telling them to avoid right zika virus certainly and so everyone's like, we need a vaccine. Let's get started on this. And so one uh, leading official is like, you know what? We could probably have one in two years. No big, no big deal. But, really? But we won't be able to have it approved for public use for another 10 to 12 because oh. human trials and stuff like that. The thing is, once human probably trials... Probably a good system. Yeah. Once human trials start, we can at least start giving it to some small populations uh-huh. in the region. Um, but, I mean, that won't be for five years. Yeah. So Yeesh. it's terrifying. Um and like this virus has been around before. Like there was a, a, a like a, a pandemic back in 2007 um, in French Polynesia, which is a whole bunch of different islands. Um, and the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic: a pandemic is like spreads over multiple populations in large areas, so over multiple continents or islands or something like that, oh, and infects weird. a really large number of people. An epidemic means that a specific population got infected very rapidly, so in a very short time and at a very high rate, so like an, a very large percentage of the people got sick. So this is a pandemic. Um, and before that, it just kind of was like monkey to mosquito to monkey to mosquito to monkey to mosquito transmission of the virus, and no one really cared. Nothing had really happened to anyone in the past. Not a big deal. But suddenly now it's a huge issue. So yeah, that's the Zika virus. Scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. So so that's sort of a brief overview of... So Zika virus, it's sexually oh, transmitted. The name comes from the Zika forest of Uganda. Gotcha. Oh. Where it was first isolated. So it's sexually transmitted. Does that mean it's a blood-borne pathogen? Um, it's... I think it was... It's semen-borne, yeah. Semen-borne, okay. Yeah. How does it get from your blood into semen? 
I'm not just sure. Traveling through the blood. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's just traveling. You get yeah. bit by a mosquito, and the virus travels to. Does it preferentially attack sperm cells? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. So um, yeah, I just know that. So we've established that it's. They've what they've established is that it definitely is spread by mosquitoes. Um, definitely spread by sexual transmission. Probably not spread by blood transfusions. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And then unclear. That tells else. me that it gets out of your blood pretty quickly and yes. goes somewhere else in your yeah. body. Mm -hmm. It tells me that its host cells are not blood cells. So another thing, I guess if we skip to Ebola real quick. Um, another that, really yeah, fun virus. That happened recently. So this um, Ebola is, it's kind of, this is a little bit strange. Ebola virus is in the genus Ebola virus. Um, <laughs> One word. And there are four other viruses in this. So of the Ebola viruses, there's the Reston, Typhorus, Sudan, Bundibugyo, and then the Zaire Ebola virus. But the Zaire, which is now just the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, Ebola virus is just called Ebola virus. And that's the one that um, was a huge issue recently. Why is it called Ebola? Ebola, the Ebola River is the first place the outbreak oh. occurred in 1976. Could you imagine living near the Ebola River? That just sounds horrifying. <laughs> at the time, it was probably yeah, fine. At the time, yeah, but yeah. now it's like, now we associate Ebola with like the worst disease ever. What? And it's so awful because it has an 83 to 90% mortality Holy rate. Holy God. Which is nuts. What are the symptoms of Ebola? The symptoms of, well, the symptoms of Ebola virus disease, which is what it gives you, um, is uh, hematemesis, which is vomiting blood, oh uh, bloody diarrhea, which oh is when God. there's blood in your diarrhea, <laughs> uh, rash, fever, muscular pain, etc. Basically, you're in a lot of pain and blood is leaking out of you from every oh orifice. Oh my God, that's um, horrifying. Wait, what, what, was, what were the uh, the symptoms of Zika virus? Zika virus is like, it's like a, normal a, flu. a light Feels fever, like a light, flu. light muscular ache, Okay, really not a big deal. Okay, so it doesn't seem that bad, but Ebola sounds terrifying. Ebola will literally out of... just straight up kill you. you yeah. Um, and it, it's an intermediate species that it infects are fruit bats, but it infects We talked about this in our parasite yeah, yeah. show. We have um, something called an intermediate host, which means literally it's where it's the thing that the parasite doesn't finish its development in. It just sort of transfers from the intermediate host to something else. So the Ebola virus travels from fruit bats, fruit bats to humans. Yep, and then from human to human also. Um, and so the interesting thing is that you can get it by like blood to blood infection, mm -hmm. right? But that's only for like a few weeks. But then for months after someone has recovered, it can remain in the eyeballs and testicles. What? Yeah. So, okay. So have so, you heard those news stories of the guy who was like totally cured, but then they found it in his eye and yeah. the guy who was totally cured, but then he had it in his semen? That's how they know that. So basically it wow. leaves your blood after a few weeks, yep. but can stay harbored in yeah. testes and eyes for a longer time. That's yep. terrifying. So don't kiss anyone with your eye, I guess. Don't like poke your eye into their eye. That would be... I don't weird. know why you would do that anyway. Well, but, don't but do it now. maybe semen is a little more like yeah, scary. That one's, that one's the more... So Blood transmission wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the fact that in addition, blood is coming out of almost every orifice. Yep. It's just part of the problem. Yep. The reason it's highly pathogenic is because, you know, okay, it's borne by blood, and that's fine if you don't touch blood, but if you're taking care of someone with Ebola, they are bleeding blood. all over yeah. you. It's, it's a mess. Oh, man. Um, so we developed some vaccines, partially. Um, they're currently undergoing human trials. Uh, some of them have seen moderate success, um, and there are a few, there's a few different ones, but um, okay. that's still... There's been, like, you know, more than 10,000 confirmed deaths from 2013 to 2015. Jesus in West Christ. Africa. Wow. And uh, I think it's, it's mostly calmed down, but I, I think it's still an issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it's certainly not like a an epidemic like it was or a pandemic even across Africa down there. Um, all right, so what do you guys want to talk about next? We got another seven minutes. Let's cover another uh, maybe. What's what's a good um, disease to end on? <laughs> How about HIV? We yeah, we probably should talk about HIV. HIV is super important in terms of like viral disease. So uh, HIV is a lentivirus, and that just means it is it's lenti means slow. It has a really long incubation period, um, and so. HIV, the virus, human immunodeficiency virus, causes the human immunodeficiency virus infection, HIV infection, um, and also AIDS, which is acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. So basically, it shuts down your immune system. Um, you can get infected via blood, semen, vaginal fluid, pre-ejaculate, breast milk, um, and those the virus is present both as just the free virus and also as infected cells, immune cells, in all of those substances. Um, and so... What happened basically way back in uh, in the beginning of when it first appeared in the U.S., the first people that we found that had it were five sexually active male homosexual injection drug users, right? And what they've had so all was of the risk factors for risk. yes HIV exactly, um, and they all showed symptoms of a super rare pneumonia that only occurs in people with compromised immune systems, and there was no reason they should have compromised immune systems. So that was our first warning red flag that's like, wait, maybe this is... Yeah, so there was a task force initiated, like, what the hell's going on? And they named the task force after the um, sort of weird conditions that people were seen with if they had compromised immune systems. Um, but in the public, in the general press, they started calling it GRID, which is gay-related immune deficiency. Eesh. That was in 1981. Fortunately... Uh, in 1982, although the stigma was still there. Fortunately is maybe not the right word. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. Fortunately is not the right word. Um, in 1982, they realized uh, the error in their naming. Um, and, I mean, I don't think any official body had adopted GRID mm -hmm. as a uh, name. There were cases in women, um, in Haitians that had newly arrived to the U.S., and people who were blood transfusion patients with no other risk factors at all. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, oh, okay, so this clearly isn't just a homosexual disease. However, I think the stigma stayed for quite I mean, a while. I mean, it's still that. I mean, think yeah. about Magic Johnson playing in the 80s, right? Right, right. I mean, that whole yeah. thing about – and uh, 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 Greg Luganis, who was the swimmer who mm. hit his head and was bleeding into the pool at the Olympics, and people were terrified because Jesus. I think – if I remember correctly, he was HIV positive, and people were like, oh, my God. Oh, so man. people were very, very scared of HIV in the 80s because right. they had no idea what it was what it is, or how yeah. to stop it. So, yeah, that, that stigma towards it being a gay-related disease is sort of stuck around, and I think it's still... Probably is still there. Yeah. Yeah. I've also... Okay, so in terms of the origins of HIV, the story that I heard when I was younger, when I was, like, a kid, was like, oh, you know, someone had sex with a monkey and then got it. It's like, that's probably, probably not the case. Um, <laughs> it seems that what happened is... Uh, so. Uh, some great apes um, have the simian immunodeficiency virus, uh, and SIV. SIV, yep, instead of HIV. And one easy way that this could have been transferred to humans is bushmeat. So bushmeat is basically when you eat, um, is when you use as a primary food source non-domesticated animals. Um, for example, apes. Um, and so it doesn't occur when you eat the bushmeat. It's when you're um, hunting or butchering the apes that you could maybe cut your hand and you know there's you're butchering this thing there's blood everywhere so if you have bad butchering practices you're going to end up getting infected with this thing blood to blood and so SIV is like pretty easily su suppressed by the human immune system 
But um, what happened was, around the same time, there are two theories that sort of try to say why it suddenly exploded into, like, how it managed to mutate into a human uh, virus. Uh, there was increased colonialism in Africa in the late 19th and earliest 20th century, which was prostitution exploded there. There was more sexual promiscuity and sexually transmitted, transmitted infections that had a common symptom of genital ulceration, so like syph syphilis, for uh, example. Gross. So that like drastically increases the chances of it spreading through sexual contact because you have literally open ulcers in like on your genital organs. Oh, um, another theory is that following World War II, there was um, unsterile reuse of syringes for like mass vaccination and many other treatment campaigns. That's ironic. Yeah, isn't yeah, that, isn't that yeah. pretty shitty? And so. It, then it managed to spread. There's also two types of HIV, one and two. One is the one we all know and hate. Uh, two we also hate but don't know about it so much, um, like the layman anyway. Um, the HIV is the one I just talked about. HIV-2 um, originated from a different set of apes um, and has lower transmission infection rates and is still mostly limited to Africa, but is still is awful. It has the same symptoms. Gotcha. Uh, our treatment for HIV is we've got some drugs that try to block HIV replication, prevent membrane fusion of HIV to a host cell, prevent it from ever entering the cell, preventing the HIV from maturing um, into, like, infecting your cells. So it's... If I remember correctly, these treatments are, like, working fairly well. They're, like, they're, yeah. you know, it's not a cure, but um, if I remember correctly, some of these HIV treatments are actually working very well, and HIV-positive patients have seen their, like, what is it, HIV the count in their blood go cell down. count yeah, yeah so the problem down. with this is that none of these kill hiv none of these stuff yeah. they just prevent it from infecting you so it's mm -hmm. still in your blood so the only way this would work if it perfectly managed to stop every single hiv thing from infecting any of your cells until there weren't any left and they just died off which is almost certainly not going to happen also they're really expensive mm. so it's not an effective treatment for just some person the average person who gets hiv it's far better outlook than it used to be, but it's still not amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks, colonialism. It's just <laughs> another thing that, uh, <laughs> another terrible thing colonialism brought. Um, is hockey on? Do we have to finish right at 7? Or um, are we already gone five minutes early? That would blow. Hey, mm -hmm. someone text me if we're still on air <laughs> after 7. Let us know. All right, do we want to talk about, like, one more virus? Or Yeah, sure. Yeah. These guys, uh, I don't like a bit of waste. <laughs> Yeah, we we have literally this is probably one of our biggest note sex note uh, documents ever. Like this is just enormous. There's just so much. All right, um, um you want to talk about like, I don't know. Sarah, you want to talk about um, West Nile? Yeah, let's do that. yeah sounds good. Uh, so West Nile virus is one of the less severe ones, though it can it it can get bad if it's left untreated. Um, but it's in the genus Flavivirus. Same as Zika. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's spread by mosquitoes as well. Um, and unlike Zika, you can't. There's no human-to-human -human transmission. It's it's only spread by mosquito bites, by the female mosquitoes. Oh, um, okay. So it also, in addition to that, it also infects a lot of other types of animals that are just. They're called um, reservoir hosts, where they don't like. They don't, like you said, they don't reach maturity in there, and they can't really spread from, like, for example, birds. Birds are a huge one, and they can't really spread from bird to bird, only by mosquito. Like, mosquito to bird to mosquito to bird. Interesting. Um, but it was first found in Uganda in 1937, 
seems like a lot of a lot of them come out of there. Um, but it wasn't really perceived as a threat for a very long time, but it has spread globally. It's it's everywhere now. Yeesh. Um, and as I said, birds are like the most commonly infected infected animals. Um, but if when humans get them, transferred from a bird, a mosquito that bites a bird, a mosquito that bites us, mm-hmm. same mosquito. Weird. Same, okay. Same mosquito. Or, um, if it's in a bird for long enough, where the virus can get to a certain amount, that an uninfected mosquito can get it from a bird. Oh, can we get it from eating that bird? I don't think so. Okay. Cool. I don't think so. All right, so we can eat birds. That's good to know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the symptoms are similar to Zika virus, I guess. Fever, fatigue, muscle pain, vomiting, and rash. Yeesh. And But if left untreated, it can get very, very bad. Like how so, bad? So, like, particularly if you have a, a compromised immune system already, mm-hmm. but um, if, if it gets to your brain, for example, you get neur- neurological diseases such as West Nile encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain. Oh God! Or West uh, Nile meningitis, and uh, both of them can gi- can kill if you. If this weren't a radio show, you'd be able to see the face I'm making. Uh, uh, he looks really unhappy. You probably imagine it with their uh, uh, noises. So, like, that's not something you want to have. In. So, there have been several, several hundred, at least in the U.S., recorded cases of people dying from getting infected with West Nile virus. And uh, um, we don't have a vaccine. For humans. For humans, what? yeah. We, fun, fun fact, we have uh, a West Nile virus vaccine for horses. What? But not, a, not one for humans. What? I, I don't know why. Why? 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 How That's did that happen? Weird. How did that happen? <laughs> I have no clue. Jesus Christ. Um, but the main way we, can stro- we control them is by controlling mosquitoes. Okay. With bed nets or like... Yeah, so mosquitoes are like the cause of a lot of this. Yeah, we talked about this in the Parasites episode too. Mosquitoes are probably the single worst animal on Earth. We could potentially Second remove worst them animal from Earth. the world without having any negative effects, really. No. Yeah, I doubt it, Because right? they're food for a lot of things. Yeah. They're food All right, for so a lot of helpful make... organisms. Yeah, that's not going to work. Although, so right. what's interesting is when we talked about our GMOs episode, we talked about those GM- genetically GMO, modified yeah. mosquitoes. That can't breed. That basically are infertile. Yeah. So... They mate, and then they're like, "Oh, the males are like, okay, we made it. Now I can die." Well, but then they'll, <laughs> or they passes kill down, them and then... they passes down a thing that just kills the developing embryo. Mm-hmm. So it's like really interesting way to sort of handle dealing with this kind of thing. And then I guess so. Viruses aren't well. We can use viruses for our own benefit. Yeah. Uh, there's a thing called gene therapy, where basically we deliver genetic material that we want to deliver into cell nuclei because viruses are really freaking good at that they've been co-evolving with us for for trillions of years okay that's not an accurate number i love that number (laughs) a really long time um and so they can get into our nuclei cell nuclei very very easily relatively um so if we take the virus knock out the part that makes it replicate knock out the part that gives us infectious diseases and then put in whatever genetic code we want and throw it into a person. I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that, but um, then it can infect their cells and put in the genetic code that we want, and it can override or replace um, th- things that are going wrong, essentially. Yeah. Do you want to say something about yeah, that? Yeah, and um, 
I like plants, so I, I have a, a couple plant viruses, which are also <laughs> a huge problem, though. They're less talked about in the news because they kill plants, not people. Um, <laughs> but there's this w two really interesting viruses, cauliflower mosaic virus and papaya ring spot virus. And cauliflower mosaic virus is just, it's sort of a, a, a medium threat to, to cauliflower. <laughs> which is like medium medium <laughs> cauliflower threat is like pretty low on the threat scale i'd say but um it has it's realized that uh as zach was saying viruses are very good at um targeting the nucleus and getting genes there and so we've used cauliflower mosaic virus uh, a part of of its genome called the promoter which um is useful in in inserting genes into host genomes so that we use this cauliflower mosaic virus promoter for I'd say if not all then a majority of the um, genetic transformations that we've done in plants cool so dude that virus has been helpful and that sort of freaks that freaks people out a lot because you hear the word virus you're putting a virus like, in my oh virus. no <laughs> and um, but the virus itself hasn't really doesn't have any sort of pathogenicity in it anymore you hmm. can't get anything. Oh, anything. neat. That's super interesting. Yeah. We did it, guys. We scienced. And with the papaya ring spot virus, which uh, nearly destroyed the papaya industry in Hawaii, which is it's where... It's pronounced papaya. Papaya. <laughs> is that a new, like, MC name? <laughs> papaya. No, it's like Papa John's. Papa Papaya coming hot if, at you. If Papa John's Saturday night were to spin it at the club, papaya. Papa John's were a DJ, it would be Papa Ya. Papa Ya! So the papaya industry was destroyed, almost destroyed, almost destroyed. by a papaya vaccine, or um, virus, I mean. Virus, and um, it was also saved by that same virus. What? We essentially made a, like a papaya vaccine. That's adorable. Which is cool. <laughs> oh my god, that's so cute. They like so inject each just papaya with it. Their, how do papayas, are they tree fruits? Yeah, they're tree fruits. Okay, so I'm just imagining so, like, like a bunch of scientists like, going around just, bloop, here you go, little guy. So imagine just like acres of papaya trees. And like a tree, it takes like, I think, 10 years to grow and become a ripening tree. Wow. And then if they all get infected by this virus that makes bad for a decade green spotted papayas that you can't sell. So Eesh. it would it like it would have been very, very hard for it to recover. Yeah. But they made... They need an excellent marketing campaign. Yeah, for... Bad tasting papayas, um, but they in they made uh, a transgenic papaya actually with some of the the virus's coat protein in the genome, so that it could recognize it and it was immune. Oh, so basically, we these trees were born having immunity to this mm -hmm. papaya vi virus. So it wasn't like they That's took a crazy. syringe and stuck it into the fruit. But they just bred they, them to have that. Cool. I guess that makes more sense. Dude, genetically modified. We already had a show on this. Yeah, we can't. All right. Well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. That's been scientifically speaking. We talked all about viruses. I hope you learned more about how viruses work. We will see you next week with another show. We'll maybe change things up next week. We'll, we'll see what's going on. We'll let oh, you know how things are going. But uh, yeah. thanks again to Sarah for co-hosting with us. Yay. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. We'll see you later, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good weekend. Bye, Adios. everyone. Thank you and good night.